With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to another stellar edition of Battles of the American Civil War, 1864. Getting down to the gritty. Yeah, nitty gritty, fritty bitty. This episode has got four battles, but it's going to be a longer one because we had to get these four battles in before the Battle of Cold Harbor, which is our next week. And that Cold Harbor one is going to be about at least an hour by itself. So, mm-hmm. But this is probably going to be maybe a little bit more than an hour. Okay. We got... <laughs> We got uh, all overlands. Well, we got one starting out with the Atlanta campaign, and then our next three after that is all overland campaigns, which is Atlanta campaign, Pickett's Mill, and then we move to overland, Hall Shop, Totopotamoy Creek, and Old Church. And from the sound of things, from skimming through this, uh, more of the same. We don't know how big your army is, and we right. don't know how to attack and mm. do stupid stuff. And then people are feuding with each other, and uh, they don't like each other, so they're not sending each other reinforcements. And <sighs> I swear, these people, these mm. people, man. Before you, we get into it, go check out our YouTube at Bang Dang Network, shorts, clips, exclusive Dart League over there. And if you're just listening on Apple, Spotify, answer that Spotify question, share switch fans, and leave a review. First up, Battle of Pickett's Mill. May 27th, 1864, in Paulding County, Georgia. Pretty sure uh, most of Overland campaign is. I mean, uh, Atlanta campaign. In this campaign, William T. Sherman commanded a force made up of three armies drawn from military division of the Mississippi. Okay. Nice. Uh, yeah. April 30th, 1864, the Army of the Cumberland, led by Major General George H. Thomas, included 73,000 troops, 130 guns. Right. Army of the Tennessee, under Major General James B. McPherson, numbered 24,500 soldiers and 96 guns. So what's the difference between soldiers and troops here, guys? Right. Uh, and the Army of the Ohio, directed by Major John Schofield, <laughs> Schofield, I guess, reported 11,362 infantry, 
2,197 cavalry and 28 guns. Fantastic. Sherman's forces were supported by 25,000 non-combatants, which we uh, established last episode, railroad. Slaves. Um, repair crews, teamsters, and black camp slaves. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy shit there, boys. Thomas's army was made up of Major General Oliver Otis Howard's the Fourth Corps he had there. Uh, Major General John M. Palmer's 14th Corps. Major General Joseph Hooker's 20th Corps. Hey, Hooker, look at this guy. Yeah, he's been in literally all of our Atlanta campaign episodes so far. (laughs) Uh, Then you got the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Cavalry Division led by Brigadier Generals Edward McCook, Kenner Gerard, and Hugh Judson Kilpatrick, respectively. McPherson's army consisted of Major General John A. Logan's 15th Corps and Brigadier General Greenville M. Dodges. Greenville. Right. He had a left wing of the uh, 16th Corps. Major General Francis Preston Blair Jr.'s got the, he got the 17th Corps. He joined up with McPherson's army on the 9th of June. We'll make that the 8th of June. <laughs> Schofield's small <laughs> army included his own 23rd Corps and a cavalry division led by Major General George Stoneman. The 4th and the 20th Corps each counted 20,000 soldiers, while the 14th had 22,000. The 15th had 11,500, and the 16th and 17th Corps each included about 10,000 men. It's a lot of men. Yes. Let's move on to the Confederate Army of uh, Joseph B. Johnston's Army of Tennessee consisted of that's it. <laughs> two, right, two infantry corps led by Lieutenant Generals William J. Hardy and John Bell Hood. Plus a cavalry corps under Major General Hardy, Charles Wheeler. Hardy or Hood never moved up in the ranks. These guys were actually decent. Johnson's army was soon reinforced by the corps of Lieutenant General Leonidas Polk and the cavalry division of Brigadier General William Hicks Jackson from the Army of Mississippi. Hardy's corps included the divisions of Major Generals William Bate, Benjamin Cheatham, Patrick Claiborne, and William H.T. Walker. Hey. Hood's corps was made up of the divisions of Major Generals Thomas E. Hinman, Carter Stevenson, and Alexander Stewart. Hey, look at that shit. Beautiful. Well, Polk's. His corps had the divisions of Major General Samuel Gibbs French and Major General William Wing Loring. Oh, William Loring. Uh. Also, Brigadier General James Canty, who was tagging along. 30th April, 1864. Johnson's Army of Tennessee reported 41,279 infantry, 8,436 cavalry, and 3,227 artillerymen serving 144 guns. That's not very many guns there. Guy. Nope. Outnumbered big time there. One of the uh, divisions... Of the Union had more than that. Mm. Battles and leaders calculated Johnson's reinforcements as follows. Brigadier General Hugh Mercer's Brigade, 2,800 men, May 2nd. They they, they, they arrived on the 2nd of May. Well, they didn't arrive. That was just as of the 2nd of May. Yeah, okay. Canty's division had 5,300 men. That was the 7th of May. Loring's division, 5,145 through the 10th and 12th of May. French French's detachment had 550 men. He happened to have that on the 12th of May as well. Jackson's cavalry, 4,477 on the 17th of May. French's division, 4,174 on the 19th. Brigadier General William Andrew Quarles. But he had a lot of those. Right. His brigade had 2,200 on the 26th of May. And a 643-man detachment of Jackson's cavalry on the 10th of June. Other reinforcements came from two Georgia State regiments, which had 1,200 men. They returned from furlough, recruits, and returned desoidus. Not very many desoidus returned back to the uh, the Rebs. A lot of them. Well, because they probably were forced. <laughs> right. There were about 8,000 non-combatants supporting Johnson's army, mostly men unfit for combat. I would assume. No sleeps. Mm. The Atlanta campaign began with, we uh, know, the battle, of Rock, battle, the, bottle, the battle of Rocky Face Ridge, May 5th through the 9th, when Sherman sent McPherson's two-quarter turn Johnson's defenses from the west 
while Thomas and Schofield demonstrated frontally. Outflanked, Johnson retreated and fought the Battle of Resaca, 13th through 16th of May, by which time Polk's Corps began arriving. Yep. With his western flank menaced, Johnson withdrew again, and Union troops captured Rome. Yep. At the Battle of Caspill on May 19th, Johnson planned to counterattack part of Sherman's widely spread army, but Tymon was ruined when McCook's cavalry appeared in an unexpected location. Well, like, these, shit! I mean, come on. Well, you don't have... Uh, Give uh, it up. He's been dead for over a year now. You don't have old Jeb Stewart running around... Uh, <laughs> well, he's been dead for a month now. <laughs> running around and... Uh, <laughs> Scanning the countryside. Right, scanning the countryside and not bringing back any info. <laughs> Johnston then took up a defensive position south of Cassville. Hood and Polk, they argued that Cassville line was vulnerable to Union artillery fire. So Johnston retreated to Alatoona Pass, and that was on the night of the 19th and the 20th of May. Finding Johnston's position too strong to directly attack, Old Schoenman decided to make another maneuver, and he was going to do that going around Johnston's western flank. After pausing operation for three days, Scheumann sent McPherson, uh, his right wing, south to Van Wert, and then east toward Dallas. That's Georgia, by the way. Thomas's army formed Sherman's center and Schofield's corps to his left. Fantastic. Well, at the start of this latest Union maneuver, Sherman ordered 20 days' rations to be carried in his wagons because uh, they were leaving the railroad. Oh, I think we said last episode his wagon train or his wagons were 80 miles long or something yeah, like that this is freaking ridiculous thomas's army crossed the etowah river and marched through you harley and stylesboro while brigadier general jefferson c davis's second division 14th corps which was detached at rome joined the movement of mcpherson's wing blair's 17th corps was approaching from the north but had not yet joined sherman oh garrard's cavalry preceded mcpherson's columns mccook's cavalry covered thomas's front stoneman's cavalry headed so schofield's columns and kilpatrick's cavalry watched the railroad north north of the etowah look at that cavalry finally doing some good uh that is one thing we'll see here not in this atlanta campaign but the overland campaign these three battles the cavalry was like the main uh thing for the union fucking up the confederate yeah, ship because i feel better there's nobody left in the cavalry right. johnson received news of sherman's move from jackson's cavalry and on the afternoon of 23rd of may 1864 he ordered hardy's corps to march to dallas and copes and copes and also for polk's corps to follow soon after 24th of may johnson ordered hood's corps to join the others by the 25th, Johnston's army was positioned so that Hardy's corps was on the left near Dallas and Hood's corps was on the right at New Hope Church. Polk's corps was posted to the left of Hood with a lightly defended gap between Polk and Hardy. Hooker's 20th corps led the advance of Thomas Thomas's Army of the Cumberland when it reached Pumpkin Vine Creek at Owens Mill. The old Federales drove off some Rebs who were trying to burn that damn bridge. But they didn't. How many, time, how many bridges are you going to burn, motherfucker? It's like you said the same exact thing last week when we were going over that. <laughs> Strongly resisted by three Confederate regiments, Brigadier General John Geary's second division pressed forward until it came into contact with Hood's Corps at New Hope Church, which we covered last week. 5 p.m. before Hooker was able to reinforce Geary with the divisions of Brigadier General Alpheus Williams, which was the first division, and Major General Daniel Butterfield, which was the third. Mm. Each of the three divisions were formed into brigade columns, that is, with the leading brigade deployed and the two other brigades of the division directly behind it. Yeah. In the Battle of New Hope Church, May 25th, Hooker's divisions repeatedly assaulted the ridge that Hood's troops defended, but without any success. I mean, it's rough. The battle I mean, lasted. You can't uh, assault a ridge and expect to do good anyways, right? Well, you don't have the high ground. Right. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. Right? Well, Ridge is up. Right? You look over a ridge, don't you? The battle lasted 180 minutes, and during its last Excuse hour, a thunderstorm rumbled overhead. That one, I guess. Hooker admitted sustaining losses of 1,665 killed and wounded in a place the Union troops began calling the Hell Yup. Stewart's division, which was the main defending force, reported losing three to 400 casualties. The leading unit of Howard's 4th Corps, which was Brigadier General John Newton's uh, 2nd Division, arrived in the area of New Hope Church at 6 p.m. and was placed in line on the left of Hooker's Corps. By the morning of 26th of May, Howard's entire corps was fully deployed. Regarding Palmer's 14th Corps, Brigadier General Absalom Baird's 3rd Division, it was assigned to guard Thomas's wagon train at Burnt Hickory. And Brigadier General... So they didn't even get in the fight. There's guarding. Hey, whatever, cool. And Brigadier General Richard Johnson's 1st Division was placed in reserve, right behind Hooker. Right behind the Hooker. Warned on May 26, McPherson's two corps occupied Dallas and confronted Hardy's corps about two miles farther east. McPherson deployed Logan's 15th Corps on the right, Dodge's 16th Corps on the center, and Davis's 14th Corps division on the left. Between Davis and Hooker, there was a lightly defended area. Right. Schofield's 23rd Corps left Brigadier General Alvin Peterson Hovey's division to watch the wagon train and proceeded with the divisions of Brigadier Generals Jacob Dolson-Cox and Milo S. Haskell. Schofield's Corps reached the battlefield after an all-night march in the rain. Oh, and then they got to fight in the morning. Poor poor fucking soggy-ass feet. Wow, during that uh, march, Schofield was injured when his horse fell into a ravine. So Cox temporarily assumed command of the Corps. In the morning, Sherman directed the Corps to the left of Howard's Corps, and after marching by compass through thick woods, oh, that thicket, we told you about those thickets, it came into line near Brown Sawmill. At this point, the 13th Corps and the left of... the 23rd? Right. uh, At this point, 23rd Corps and what's left of the 4th Corps made a right wheel to face toward the Confederate defensive position. Uh Uh-oh. 26th of May. Both sides entrenched. The day was notable for the continuous skirmishing that took place between the two sides. Yep, and this is where uh, Sherman decides to turn Johnson's right flank. Uh-oh. Aware of his numerical superiority and with both armies entrenched, Sherman decided that he could assemble some of his troops then use them to outflank the Confederate defenses. Yeah, most likely. In addition, by extending his left flank northward, Sherman was able to get closer to the railroad line. Also May 26, McCook's cavalry bested Wheeler's horsemen in a skirmish. Oh, shit. Capturing 50 Confeds. Confed Confederals. <laughs> <laughs> this class seemed to indicate that Johnson's right flank was only defended by cavalry, but indicate. I don't think so. 
Mm. 27th of May, the artillery of Schofield, Howard, and Hooker, they bombarded the old Rebs. Defenses starting at dawn. The opposing batteries replied. Sherman, he wanted Howard, supported by Schofield's divisions, to thrust at what he <laughs> believed to be Johnston's right flank, while McPherson pressed back the old rebel left flank. At dawn, Howard withdrew Thomas J. Wood's uh, division, which was the 4th Corps, from its newly dug trenches and replaced it with David Stanley's division. He's like, here, the work's done. Just sit down. Well, nope. Oh, as Wood's division marched north, Thomas and Howard conducted a reconnaissance of the location where old Scheumann wanted it. Hey, finally, we're getting some reconnaissance hey, done here. Huh? Look, look at this. Jeez, well, they found that the assault would have to cross an open field subject uh, to Confederate crossfire. Thomas instructed Howard to shift the assault location farther north to the left of Schofield's lines. Thomas also detached Johnson's 1st Division from the 14th Corps so that it could support Woods' attack. Right. Fear is that first Davis's and now Johnson's divisions were taken away from him. Palmer threatened to resign command of the 14th Corps. Uh-oh. And Thomas had to talk him out of it. Right. Why? 11 a.m., Woods' division was formed into a column of brigades, with each brigade formed into two lines so that the division was deployed into six lines, one behind the other. Obviously. Johnson's division was formed into a similar column. Fantastic. Nice little... Uh... <coughs> right. Right. The Union divisions, they marched through forests so dense that the wood, that the wood, <laughs> the Union divisions marched through forests so dense that wood gave the colonel of his lead and regiment a compass to guide the movement. Well, I would have, I would hope that the colonel would have already had one, but I guess not. After marching a mile and a half, Howard ordered Woods and Johnson's columns to turn to the right and prepare for an attack. Wood's skirmishers went forward, discovered entrenched old ribs in the front, so Howard decided to attack farther north. Howard ordered Brigadier General Nathaniel McLean, his brigade, to support Woods' right flank. Uh, McLean's command was the 3rd Brigade, the 3rd Division, which was the 23rd Corps. All right, you know, the crucial defense of McLean's brigade at 2nd Battle Bro 1. You guys, you guys ready? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers! Right. <laughs> right. I don't know. Crucial defense of McLean's brigade at the 2nd Battle Bro Run may have prevented a Union catastrophe, but bad blood existed between McLean and Howard. Oh, I'm sure they did. Historian Albert Castle asserted, of all the brigade commanders in Sherman's army, a worse one to assist in Howard's attack could not have been found. Uh-oh. Howard blamed McLean, among others, for the disaster to the 11th Corps. At the Battle of Chancellorsville, and McLean detested Howard for it. Man, this is going way back. Right. Well, a year. But, yeah. Right. It's way back. It's like eight years in wartime. <laughs> Earlier, old Johnston from the Rebs, he transferred Claiborne's division from Hardy's Corps to the extreme right flank. Claiborne's left was Hinman's division of Hood's Corps. Claiborne's division was entrenched with the brigades of Brigadier General Mark Perrin-Lowry and Brigadier General Daniel Golvin. They were in the front line, and the brigades of Brigadier Generals Lucius E. Polk and Haram Granberry in Resolve. Uh, Haram. Lucius Polk must be a cousin to Leonidas or something? Maybe. Uh, Govin Scouts reported that Howard's movement to Johnston. Govin Scouts reported Howard's movement to Johnston, who ordered probes of the federal lines, believing that Scheumann was making a general retreat to the railroad. Well, you nah. idiots. Don't you know how many men he has? He's not retreating. Well. Right. (laughs) (laughs) These probes captured some Union skirmishers, but quickly discovered that Scheumann's defenses were well manned. Yes, they were. uh, You know what I see? It's blue for miles. (laughs) Right. With this information, Johnson realized Sherman was trying to turn his right flank. He's like, shit. He directed Hinman's troop to shift to the right and ordered Stewart's division to help Claiborne. At this time, McPherson notified Sherman that the Confederate troops in front of him were strongly entrenched. Nope. Sherman finally understood that Johnson blocked his plan to sweep around the Confederate western oh. flank. 
Took him long enough. And he quickly discarded his original strategy and replaced it with a plan to move northeast to the railroad. All right. Well, after marching an additional one mile, Woods and Johnson's troops, they reached a north-flowing stream called Pickett's Mill Creek. The tributary of Pumpkin Vine Creek was named after a nearby grist mill known owned by Malachi Pickett. All right. Makes sense. Howard and Wood, they conducted another reconnaissance reconnaissance and discovered that old Rebs were digging trenches. <laughs> but the entrenchments did not extend to the left. Hmm. Howard ordered Wood and Johnson to swing their divisions to the right and directed McLean to make a false attack, which was designed to draw fire away from Woods' real attack. Wood rapidly formed his division for an assault, but both Johnson and McLean moved their commands very slowly. Mm. Like, you know what? We're going to take our time. 3.35 p.m., Howard sent a courier notifying his superior, Thomas, that he was turning the enemy's right flank, I think. I think. <laughs> Thomas's reply arrived at 4 p.m. to go ahead with the attack. Damn, half hour later. Even so, Howard hesitated until Wood asked, are the orders still to attack? Howard gave the order to attack. Jeez, so that's a whole hour probably wasted, right. hour and a half. Woods' division consisted, we don't care, we already know, I guess. Yeah. Woods' division consisted of the brigades of Colonel William Harvey Gibson, Brigadier <laughs> General William Babcock Hazen, and Colonel Frederick Neffler. Oh. 4.30 p.m., Wood ordered Hazen's brigade, which was in front, to advance. Hmm. Wood remarked to Howard, we will put in Hazen and see what success he has. Oh, look at this guy getting a chance. And Howard agreed. Been riding the bench the whole war. Right. Previously, Hazen believed that Woods' entire division would attack. But he realized that his 1,500-man brigade was going to assault unsupported. He's like, what the hell? Right. Hazen glanced at his staff officer, Ambrose Bierce, who instantly knew that a criminal blunder was about to oh, happen. Oh, no. He's like, are you really sending only my 1,500-man in here? <laughs> They're going to give him a chance, and he's like, you're getting me, you're throwing me out to the wolves. jeez. Oh, All mounted officers sent their horses to the rear and went forward on foot. Oh, look at that. Nice. With Hazen guiding his brigade with the compass because the woods and underbrush were so thick. The thickets. You don't want to go in those thickets. They're thick. Hazen's men soon encountered about 1,000 dismounted cavalrymen from the divisions of Brigadier Generals John Kelly and William Humes. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The old, uh, rebel cavalrymen gamely fought back. But they were deployed in a long skirmish line, and Hazen's infantry forced them to give way. Hazen's troops reached a ravine. They saw a ridge line ahead of them, about a hundred yards away. As Hazen's soldiers surged forward to seize the ridge, Granberry's Texas Brigade reached the spot ahead of them. Uh-oh. Warned that Federals were about to turn his right flank, Claiborne sent Granberry's Brigade to help the outmatched cavalrymen. Texas took over, or took cover, and opened fire on the approaching Union troops, inflicting many casualties. Oh, shit. Some of Hazen's men called out, Ah, damn you, we have caught you without your logs. Uh-oh. 
as they rush forward. That's what they said. Hazen's men got within 20 to 30 yards of Granberry's line before they were forced to take cover and return fire. Oh. Blocked in front, Hazen swung his second-line regiments toward a cornfield on the left. Well, seeing this, the cal- seeing the cavalryman on his right getting overpowered, Granberry asked for help from Govan's brigade. Govan sent the consolidated eighth and nineteenth Arkansas infantry, and it drove them back. Both, and it drove back some of the old federales who were pressing the cavalry. Next, Claiborne's deployed Lowry's brigade on Granberry's right flank, where it repelled more of Hazen's troops. Unfortunately for Hazen and his men, no units from Johnson's division appeared to support his attack. Sad. Holy shit. Come on. It's like when uh, the Navy didn't want to work with right. the Union. They're like, yeah, piss off. With his soldiers taking heavy losses and running low on ammo, Hazen frantically sent messages to his superiors asking for reinforcements. Oh, my. No help came, and neither Wood nor Howard ever explained why. After 50 minutes, the Union survivors spontaneously withdrew. Hazen made no effort to stop him. He's like, fuck it, I don't blame right. you. <laughs> it's finally, with Hazen's attack completely spent, Wood ordered Gibson's brigade forward, thinking that a second effort might be more successful. How about you could have sent Gibson's brigade to support? Right. Gibson's men were stopped by the same intense rifle and artillery fire, because of course they were. Dude, they finally let this guy go out and do something, and they give him no help. In the middle of a freaking dense forest. That's sad. And no backup. Go out there, kid. See what you got. Sad. Mm. Johnson's first division, which was the 14th Corps, was made up of the brigades of William Carlin, John King, and Benjamin Scribner. Scribner's brigade finally showed up on Gibson's left, but was quickly pinned down by an infilade, uh, by an infilade of rifle fire from Kelly's demounted, <laughs> <laughs> from Kelly's dismounted cavalry. On Gibson's right, McLean's troops displayed no activity. So Key's, so Key's Arkansas battery and another artillery unit swung their guns to the right and blasted Gibson's hapless soldiers. That's where you get Gibson from that fucking coming in to help. <sighs> Captain Cyrus Askew of the 15th Ohio Infantry Regiment went to the rear to ask for reinforcements and found Wood and Gibson. <laughs> After Howard rode up and asked Askew for a report, a shell landed nearby. Oh, shit. Howard threw up the stump of his amputated arm and shouted, I'm afraid to look down. Oh, no. And it turned out that a shell fragment knocked off the heel of Edward's boot, but his foot was not maimed as he feared. Oh, he already had it all. He already had his arm. arm wasn't right. <laughs> Even so, Howard's foot was badly bruised, leaving him unable to walk or ride a horse. Damn. Meanwhile, after an hour of futile attempts to capture the ridge, Gibson's troops pulled back. Mm. They joined Hazen's men in the rear and said, fucked up. <laughs> They've been sold out. Yeah, they, they were. And they had been sold out. They definitely they were. Did. Oh, wow. That's some bad shit right there. 6 p.m. Howard received a message from Thomas. Said that Sherman canceled the attack at five five fifteen and ordered him to only defend. Damn, forty five minutes later, I mean, I guess Howard ordered Wood to send Neffler's brigade forward to hold the old Rebs in check until entrenchments were dug. Neffler's brigade advanced at six thirty and blundered into the ravine where it was struck by intense fire. Pulling back, Neffler's men plus the 37th Indiana and 78th Pennsylvania Infantry from Scribner's Brigade took a position where they exchanged fire with the old rebels until nightfall. Well, after dark, Neffler's men went forward to retrieve as many wounded soldiers uh, from the ravine as possible. Wow. Among other casualties, Johnson was grazed by a bullet and handed command of his division to King. Oh. Pussy. <laughs> At uh, 10 p.m., Neffler got the order to pull back since the defense line was completed. Hmm. At the same time, Granberry ordered his men to charge in the ravine to drive off any remaining Union. In the pitch dark, few soldiers were hit by bullets, but Granberry's Texans captured numerous Federals and chased others away. Mm-mm. 
Then Granbury's troops fell back to the ridge. That night, a veteran of many battles from the Texas Brigade was assigned to picket duty in the ravine. Oh, that's okay. cool. At dawn, he was so sickened by the carnage that he had to leave. Right. He noted that many of the federal gunshot victims were struck in the head. Oh, oh shit. Well, good for them. Headshots, baby. Damn. <laughs> Claiborne's division reported sustained 448 casualties, mostly in Granbury's Brigade. The Union soldiers suffered a loss of 1,600 killed, wounded, and missing. American Battlefield Trust estimated losses at 500 Confederate, 1,600 Union. Jeez. Normally, the kill to wounded ratio in Civil War battles was 1 to 5. In this battle, the number of killed in Woodson's division was extraordinarily high, probably because many of the dead were shot repeatedly. Jeez. Mm. The old Rebs found one corps with 47 bullet holes. One corpse? <laughs> or, <laughs> one corpse with 47 bullet holes. Holy shit. Hazen's brigade lost 467. Gibson's brigade lost 681. Neffler's brigade lost 250. Mainly prisoners, though. Scribner's brigade lost 125, of which 102 were from the 37th Indiana and 78th Pennsylvania. Holy shit. About 70 wounded and 145 unwounded Union soldiers were captured by the old Rebs. George State Parks credited Union forces with 14,000 troops and the old Rebel forces at 10. Well, thank you, Georgia State Parks. All right, good for you. Well, meanwhile, Cox acknowledged that Wood's troops were assailed by fire from Claiborne's division in front, Hinman's division on the right, and Calvary on their left. Jeez. Even so, Cox believed that if Johnson had ordered Scribner to push straight on while fending off the Confederate cavalry with another one of his brigades, the attack might have succeeded. It might have. Cox admitted that some mistake some mistake prevented McLean's brigade from having an effect. What was the mistake there, guy? Nobody helped Hazen out. Uh, the historian Castle guy pointed out that a crack Confederate brigade on favorable terrain, supported by two more brigades, dismounted cavalry and artillery, could be expected to repulse two Union brigades attacking piecemeal. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Haskell's division on Schofield's left flank was initially drawn back at an angle. During Woods' attack, Haskell wheeled his division to the right. McLean's brigade was used to fill the gap between Woods' right and Haskell's left. By this very time, Scheumann thoroughly committed himself to the strategy of moving to his left, which was northeast, in the direction of the railroad. An added spur to this strategy was the discovery that his soldiers were not getting enough food. Even though the wagon train carried 20 days of food, the sparse road net and the 20-mile distance to the Union Ford base at Kingston did not allow the food to be distributed to the soldiers efficiently. Yeah, you got 20 miles right. of freaking... Uh, Wagon trains. Idiots. Hood's Idiots. Corps spent the night of May 27th to the 28th marching to attack Sherman's new left flank. 6 a.m. May 28th, scouts from Wheeler's Cavalry reported that the Federals were waiting behind breastworks. Uh-oh. So Johnson called off the attack. That day, Johnson directed Hardy to order Bates' left flank division to probe McPherson's lines and find out if the Union troops were still present. 3.45 p.m., Bates' division and Brigadier General Frank Cawford Armstrong's dismounted cavalry launched an attack on lines manned by Logan's 15th Corps. Mm. Bates' botched assault in the Battle of Dallas resulted in over a 1,000 Confederates getting shot, while Logan admitted only 379. No, right. Ironically, Sherman had ordered McPherson to shift to the left on the night of May 28th and 29th. Ooh, could have helped him. Could have. After various delays, Scheumann's shift to the left finally began, and on the 1st of June, 1864, Stoneman's cavalry occupied Alatuna. This allowed Scheumann's railroad crews to proceed with repairing the track. June 2nd. Schofield's 23rd Corps pressed forward on the extreme left flank until encountered old rebel entrenchments near Altoona Creek. 3rd June, Union Cavalry McCook and Stoneman, they seized Elkworth on the railroad. On that very same day, Hooker's 20th Corps extended Sherman's left flank farther to the left of Schofield. On the night of June 4th to the morning of 5th, 
Johnson abandoned his line of field fortifications based on New Hope Church and retreated to a new line running northeast from Lost Mountain to Pine Mountain to Brushy Mountain. All right. The next major clash occurred at the Battle of Gilgal Church on the 15th of June. We'll have that coming up, won't we? Between May 23rd and June 6th, including the fight in that New Hope Church, Pickett's Mill in Dallas, Sherman's forces suffered 4,500 casualties, while Johnson's lost 3,000. Confederate morale, which sagged after the early May retreats, was uplifted by Johnson's defensive victories. Since the start of the campaign, Sherman's three armies sustained about 12,000 casualties out of a total of 100 grand, Uh-oh. while Johnson's army lost about 9 grand out of about 65 to 75,000. I mean, okay. Noted author Ambrose Bierce fought for the Union as a topographical engineer at Pickett's Mill. Bierce's short story, The Crime at Pickett's Mill, is an eyewitness account of this battle. I would hope so, since he was there. All right. The address of Pickett's Mill Battlefield Historic Site. 4432 Mount Tabor Church Road, Dallas, Georgia. Area code 30157 if you guys want to go. <laughs> it is now preserved as a Georgia State Park in excellent condition. Hey, look at that. Site includes a visitor center, earthworks used by Union and Confederate troops, a pioneer cabin, and hiking trails. All right. Well, the Atlanta campaign is not going very good for Sherman so far, man, because he's been uh, stopped. At everything that he's done in every battle of the Atlanta campaign so far. Right. Sad, sad, It'll sad. get better for him. Yeah, well. Finish out the episode with the last three battles all occurring at the Overland Campaign, which is, we'll start it off with the Battle of Hall Shop. Hey. Or Enon Church, whatever you want to call it. It was fought on May 28th. Wait, was it a shop or was it a choice? Both. Shopping the Lord Jesus. Shopping for the Lord Jesus' love. Uh, following the Battle of North Anna, Grant and Lee were again stalemated in their opposing earthworks. As he had done twice before in the campaign after the Wilderness and the Spotsylvania Courthouse, Grant planned to swing around Lee's right flank, getting closer to the Confederate capital of Richmond, hoping to lure Lee into a battle in the open. Uh-oh. He chose to move directly east and across the Pamunkey River. If he had only, if he had moved directly south, he would have been forced to cross three rivers: the Little River, the Newfound River, and the South Santa, <laughs> the South Anna River. Minor obstacles that Lee would have to navigate instead. Right. I mean, with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it, of course. Right now, open a new CQ checking account and we'll give you $250 to spend however you like. Upgrade those headphones, splurge on concert tickets, or maybe upgrade to ad-free streaming. The choice is yours. And extra cash isn't all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. All with CQ. Visit CQMD.org today. That's S-E-C-U-M-D.org today. On the eastern side of the Pamunkey, he was effectively screened from the old ribs, and he could also conveniently receive supplies from the newly formed base at White House Landing on the Pamunkey. Well, look at them. 
Before he could move, however, Grant was faced with the problem of disengaging from Lee's army. Right, you gotta get away. Not only were the armies closely situated, Grant's had to uh, Grant's army had to withdraw initially north over the North Anna, a situation in which it would be very vulnerable to attack. Very. Grant decided on a series of deceptive measures to disguise his intentions. His intentions. May 26, he sent a cavalry division under Brigadier General James Wilson to Little River, probing the western end of the Confederate line, while at the same time, men from the cavalry divisions of Brigadier Generals Alfred Torber and David Gregg were sent to the Little Page Bridge and Taylor's Ford on the Pamunkey, mm. which was 10 miles upriver from Grant's intended crossing point. Oh, shit. Wow. Lee, who was still in his tent suffering from the diarrhea that had, yeah, that's right, right. Had incapacitated him during the North Anna battle, was fooled by Grant's actions and assumed that the Union general would be moving west for the first time in the campaign. Oh, you assume too much, buddy. Come on, Lee. Get your head in. You know what he's well, doing. I mean, he's he's, he's uh, disoriented. He's, got, right. I mean, he's dehydrated. Right. He makes stupid decisions. The Union infantry withdrew stealthily after dock on the 26th of May, and by the morning of the 27th, all were safely north of North Anna. Ninth Corps under Major General Ambrose Burnside and the Second Corps under Major General Winfield Hancock, they stayed in place to guard the river crossings while the Fifth Corps under Major General Governor Warren and the Sixth Corps Major General Horatio Wright, led by Major General Philip Sheridan's cavalry, they began their march toward crossings near Hanover Town, about 35 miles to the south. Well, I mean, pretty much right. <laughs> Once Lee recognized his opponent had departed, he moved his army <laughs> swiftly in response. His three corps under Major Generals Richard Anderson and Lieutenant well, Major General Richard Anderson and Lieutenant Generals Richard Ewell and A.P. Hill marched south along the Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Potomac Railroad and then overland, heading for Atlee Station on the Virginia Central Railroad, which was a point only nine miles north of Richmond. There, his men, geez. there, his men would be well positioned behind a stream known as the Totopotamoy Creek to defend against Grant if he moved against the railroads or Richmond. Dude, they're only nine miles from Nine point. miles. He also sent a small brigade of North Carolina and Virginia cavalry down to the southern bank of the Pamunkey to scout and harass the old Federalis' advance wherever possible. During the march, Lee's illness forced him to ride in a carriage. Oh, poor guy. Ewell was also laid up with similar illness and rode in an ambulance. Jeez. His condition was serious enough that he was temporarily replaced and commanded by uh, Major General Jubal Early. Okay. I mean, diarrhea could kill you back then. 27th of May, Union Cavalry established a bridgehead over Dabney's Ford on the south side of the Pamunkey River. Brigadier General George Custer's Michigan Cavalry uh, scattered the mounted Confederate pickets guarding the Ford, and an engineer regiment constructed a pontoon bridge. All right, Custer. Well, his men fought a brisk engagement north of Salem Church against Confederate Cavalry under Major General Fitzhugh Lee and the 1st Maryland uh, under Colonel Bradley T. Johnson and the Brigade of North Carolinians under Colonel John Baker. Confederates withdrew under the pressure of superior numbers. Mm. The rest of Torbert's vision, division then crossed the river, followed by Gregg's Cavalry Division and a division of Union infantry. That's fantastic. Lee knew that his best defensive position against Grant would be the low ridge on the southern bank of the Totopotomoy Creek, but he was not certain of Grant's specific plans. Exactly. If Grant was not intended to cross the Pamunkey in force at Hanover Town, the Union Army could outflank him and head directly to Richmond. Mm. Lee ordered cavalry under Major General Wade Hampton to make a reconnaissance in force, Break through the Union cavalry screen and find the Union infantry. Yeah, you got to find that shit. Do it or they're going to Richmond. Right. Mm. Wade Hampton, who was one of the two leading candidates to succeed the late Major General Jeb Stewart in command of cavalry, he brought with him his Laurel Brigade, commanded by Brigadier General Thomas Roser. The other leading candidate, Major General Fitzhugh Lee, he accompanied uh, 
was accompanied by Brigadier General Williams Wickham's Brigade. The rest of Hampton's tax force consisted of a brigade under Brigadier General John Chambliss hmm. and elements of Colonel John A. Baker's Brigade, which is both from uh, Major General W.H.F. Rooney Lee's division. And there was a new brigade under Brigadier General Matthew Butler, which was the newly formed and inexperienced 4th and 5th South Carolina Cavalry Regiments, commanded temporarily by Colonel Hugo Rutledge, B. Hugo Rutledge, and the 20th Georgia Battalion under Lieutenant Colonel John Millen. And then there were several sections of horse artillery. <laughs> the Union Cavalry Force headed directly for Hamptons was the 2nd Division under Brigadier General Going David Gregg, which consisted of two brigades under Brigadier General Henry Davies, Jr., and Colonel J. Irvin Gregg, who was David's cousin. Oh. Reinforcements would later arrive in the battle from the division of Brigadier General Alfred Torbert, the brigades of, uh, which were the brigades of Brigadier Generals George Custer and Wesley Merritt, plus a regiment from the brigade of Colonel Thomas Devon. Fantastic. Look at this. 8 a.m., 28th of May, 1864. Hampton rode off from Atlee's Station. As more of Grant's infantry crossed the pontoon bridge over the Pamunkey, Greg, he led his cavalry's division probing west from Hanover Town, searching for Lee, <laughs> while Torbert's division began to picket along Crump's Creek, oh, Crump's Creek in the direction of Hanover Courthouse. Three miles west of Hanover Town, a mile behind a long, large blacksmith shop <laughs> called Hall's Shop, uh, see, uh, Greg's troopers ran into Hampton at Inan Church. See, there you go. That's why it's called both. All right, finding the old Reb cavalrymen dismounted in a wooded area, hurriedly erecting breastworks made of logs and rails and well covered by artillery. All right, Davies deployed pickets from the 10th New York Cavalry to Hampton's front, but the 2nd Virginia Cavalry, Hampton's leading element, drove the picket line back. Confederates deployed in line with Wickham's four Virginia regiments deployed in the woods behind Enon Church with Rosser's men and the horse artillery to the left. Fantastic. They dug shallow rifle, rifle pits and faced them with log and fence rail breastworks. Because of a swampy tributary of the Crump Creek to the north and Mill Creek to the south, it was impossible to turn that position. Oh. Hampton viewed the outnumbered Union force and reportedly exclaimed, We've got the Yankees where we want them now. Yeah, do you? <laughs> Before Hampton could attack. Irving Gregg's brigade, he arrived and moved to the right of Davies' men, extending his flank. Oh, well. Two batteries of old Federale horse artillery set up just west of the Howe House. <laughs> what is it? Oak Grove, that's what they did. Nah. A old uh, Confederate mounted charge, followed by dismounted troopers, was repulsed by the 1st Pennsylvania Cavalry. But the Pennsylvanians were soon flanked on both sides. Oh, that's not Uh-oh. good. Dismounted men from the 1st New Jersey came to their aid, and the lines were stabilized. Well, look at you guys, see? Hampton, he fed in the green troops. Hampton fed in the green troops of the 4th South Carolina on his right, and they met Davies' next charge with a wall of fire wall from of the old fire. These Confederates carried Enfield rifles, which had firing ranges superior to the carbines carried by the Federal Cavalry, killing or wounded 256 men. As Davies rode into the fight in, his saber was cut in half by a mini ball, oh, and was, uh, his horse's tail was shot off. Oh, shit. Jeez. A unit return fire was heavy as well because the troopers were armed with seven-shot Spencer repeating carbines. Damn. Bro. Yeah. One Pennsylvania trooper estimated that 200 men in his unit fired 18,000 rounds. Holy shit. Their carbines got so hot from time to time, the men had to pause to let them go. Oh, yeah. Jeez. As Davies' first attack ground to a halt, and the attack of Irvin Gregg's brigade failed to dislodge the old ribs, David Gregg, he sent for reinforcements from Sheridan, who released two brigades from Torbert's division. Torbert's Reserve Brigade under Brigadier General Wesley Merritt extended Gregg's line to the right. 
Thornton and flanking maneuver attempted by Hampton with Chambliss's newly arrived brigade from the old ribs. All right. Well, there's plenty of infantry nearby that could have been called. Right. No, south. There's plenty of infantry nearby that could have been called for reinforcements with Major General Winfield Hancock's 2nd Corps dug in about a mile to the north. There's no documentary ev- documented evidence that Sheridan requested such an assistance, although he claimed years later in his memoirs that he asked for two brigades from the Army of the Potomac Commander George Meade, who supposedly refused this, this uh, request, claiming that Hancock's men were too wary. Too wary. Too wary. Too wary. Torbert's other brigade, under Brigadier General George A. Custer, arrived at about 4 p.m. Custer's men dismounted and deployed in a long double ranked in a long double ranked line of battle, as if they were infantrymen. However, Custer inspired his men by staying mountain. <laughs> He's like, I'll stay mounted, you guys walk, bitches. Right. Custer inspired his men by staying mounted as he led them forward, waving his hat in full view of the enemy, while his brigade band played Yankee Doodle went to town. Receiving heavy fire from, from rifles. <laughs> <laughs> Receiving heavy rifle and artillery fire, 41 of the Union cavalrymen fell in the attack, as did Custer's horse. The seventh time the flamboyant general lost a horse during the war. Yeah, what are you going to do? A little flamboyant bitch. A little flamboyant bitch. <laughs> Custer later claimed that his brigade's loss at Hall's shop was greater than any other engagement of the campaign. Yeah, well, it's not even going to be the greatest of your life, though. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> It's fucked up. Right. Meanwhile, on the northern end of the battle, a Confederate mistakenly identified uh, some dismounted Union cavalrymen as infantry and reported this to Hampton. Uh-oh. Concerned that his cavalry command would be isolated and overwhelmed by an infantry attack, <clears throat> Hampton gave the order to begin withdrawing. Hampton had also just received intelligence from prisoners on the location of two Union corps that had crossed the Pamunkey, which meant that his reconnaissance mission had been successfully completed. Fantastic. You're good to go, bud. All right. Uh, rebel brigades withdrew from north to south. Once Chambliss, Rouser, and Wickham had departed, Rutledge and the 20th Georgia Battalion were uncovered. Oh, no. Custer took advantage of this situation by charging forward, overrunning the Georgians, killing their commander, Lieutenant Colonel John Millen, Mm. and capturing many of his men. Many men. (laughs) Davies' brigade joined the attack, and the remaining Confederate line fell apart. But by nightfall, Hampton's cavalry was safely west of the Totopatawane Creek. Totopotomoy. Totopotomoy. Creek. Right. The Battle of Hall Shops lasted for uh, over seven hours. Damn. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it was the bloodiest cavalry battle since Brandy Station in 1863. Oh, no shit. It was an unusual battle in comparison to previous cavalry engagements in the Eastern Theater because it was fought predominantly by dismounted cavalry, many of which were protected by earthworks. Yeah, so they're not cavalry. Well, they are. <laughs> You have different tactics, right? I guess. I guess. Yeah. Union casualties were 256 men, 256 men in Greg's division, which one? Right. And another 41 from Custer's Brigade, including Private John Huff, who you might remember as the uh, 5th Michigan Cavalryman who had fatally shot Jeb Stewart at Yellow Tavern. Yeah, he got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> or he's the only one uh, with a brain enough to right. fire at people when you're running by him. Right, idiot. Uh, Confederate. Well, he's not an idiot. <laughs> Uh, well, he is an idiot. He got himself killed so soon. He could have been fucking revered for the rest of his life had he lived. Right. Uh, Confederate losses were never tabulated officially because, of course, but Union reports claim they buried 187 enemy bodies after the battle, recovered 40 to 50 wounded, and captured 80 South Carolinians. Uh-oh. Oh, Greg, he paid tribute to the old Rebs who resisted with courage and desperation unsurpassed. 
He later wrote that the battle has always been regarded by the second division as one of its severest. Good for them. Both sides claimed victory. Yep. Sheridan bragged that his men had driven Hampton from the field and had once again demonstrated the superiority over the old rebel cavalry. He has been criticized by historians such as Gordon Ray for missing an opportunity to destroy Hampton's command while it was isolated and vulnerable in front of the Toto Paratome. This seems to be uh, the story of this war on both sides, missed opportunities. And this is something that could have been accomplished if Sheridan had devoted his entire cavalry corps to the task, which he did not. And rather than attempting to maneuver on several of the roads that led to Hampton's rear, Sheridan's command expended their efforts on costly frontal assaults. Didn't we learn you don't do frontal assaults? Right. Hampton's claim of victory was also credible. He had prevented Sheridan from learning the de- disposition of Lee's army while delaying a Union advance for seven hours. That's, that's true. General Lee received a, lo- a valuable intelligence he had sought as well. He now knew that Grant had crossed the Pamunkian force, although he was still unclear on the next steps that Grant might take, and therefore waited for further developments. <laughs> Two armies would fight in this general vicinity May 30th in the Battle of Bethesda Church, which is also the Battle of uh, Totopotomoy Creek, which is uh, coming up right now. All right, it's going to bring us to the Battle of Totopotomoy Creek. It's also known as the Battle of Bethesda Church, Crump's Creek, Shady Grove Road, and Hanover Time. Oh, Pick one, would you guys? That's fantastic. Uh, it was fought May 28th to the 30th as part of that Overland campaign, and Lee's army was in precarious shape as it stood in entrenchments behind Totopotomoy Creek. Although cavalry action at Hall Shop had given Lee valuable intelligence that indicated Grant's avenue of approach, the Confederates were short on supplies due to the Union disruption of the Virginia Central Railroad. Yeah, that'll do it. They're also short on men. (laughs) Yeah, that'll also do it. Yeah. Well, Lee requested that General P.G. Beauregard, P.G.T. Beauregard, send him reinforcements from his 12,000-man army, sitting readily idle as they bottled up Major General Benjamin Butler's army of Bermuda 100. Yeah, I mean, Beauregard ain't really doing shit right now. Beauregard initially refused Lee's request, citing the potential threat from Butler. Lee was determined, despite this disappointment and despite the persistence of his recent dysentery at North Anna. Dysentery? Yep. He wrote, a, he wrote to President Davis, If General Grant advances tomorrow, I will engage him with my present force. Hmm. I mean, you got no choice. Right. 30th of May, appeals to Confederate President Jefferson David caused Beauregard to relent and send 7,000 men, the division of Major General Robert Hoke, to join Lee. He's like, Hoke, get the hell out of here, bud. Hmm. May 29th, Grant's army advanced southwest to confront Lee. Since most of his cavalry was occupied elsewhere, he decided to use infantry for a reconnaissance in force. Uh, Second Corps of Major General Winfield Hancocks followed the Richmond-Hanover Town Road, also known as Atlee Station Road, to the creek. (coughs) Finding that Lee was firmly entrenched on the far bank, Hancock's men began digging into. They're like, well, you want to entrench? I'll entrench. Right. Fifth Corps under Major General Governor Warren extended the 2nd Corps line to the left, placing Brigadier General Charles Griffin's division across the creek onto Shady Grove Road. Oh, Shady Grove Road. Major General Horatio G. Wright's 6th Corps sent northwest from Hanover Town toward Hanover Court, Courthouse, led by Brigadier General David Russell's division. Major General Ambrose Burnside's 9th Corps was in reserve near Hall Shop. Major General Philip Sheridan's cavalry was far to right. far was far to the Union left near an old church. The Confederate line from left to right consisted of corps under Lieutenant General A. P. Hill, the independent division of Major General John Breckinridge, just returned from Shenandoah Valley, and the corps of Major 
Oh, and the corps of uh, Major General Richard Anderson and Lieutenant General Jubal Early. No action beyond minor skirmishing occurred during the day. The battle would be fought along Totopotomoy Creek near the 1862 battlefield of Gaines Mill, which we did back in 1862. And also at Hanover and at Bethsaida Church and at north of Gaines Mill and Old Cold Harbor. All right. Mm-hmm. So everywhere, mm-hmm. right? A few little places. Uh, Grant began a general advance on May 30th. Wright's Corps was to move south against A.P. Hill on the Confederate left. Hancock attacked across the creek against Breckenridge in the center. And Warren moved west toward early along Shady Grove Road. Wright's advance became bogged down in the swampy land near Crump's Creek, delaying his sixth corps until late in the day. Mm. Hancock skirmishers captured some of Breckenridge's rifle pits, but made little progress <laughs> against the main Confederate line. Major General George Meade ordered Burnside's Reserve Corps where's Burnside been? Right. Uh, to assist Hancock, but they arrived too late in the day to have any effect on the battle. Right. Isn't that crazy? Union left. Warren moved the rest of his 5th Corps across the creek, deployed on Shady Grove Road. They began probing west along that very road, with Griffin leading, followed by divisions of Major General Samuel W. Crawford and Brigadier General Lysander Cutler. Lee interpreted these movements as a continuation of Grant's campaign strategy to move around the Confederate right flank and toward the southeast. He ordered Early's Corps, which was entrenched across Warren's path, to attack the 5th Corps with the assistance of Anderson's Corps. He said, you did that shit. Do it. Well, Early planned to send a division of Major General Robert Rhodes on a flanking march along Old Church Road, turning north at Bethesda Church, and follow paths that his cavalry had pre-cut through the underbrush underbrush to smash into Warren's rear. <laughs> and smash Warren's, Warren's rear. Right. As Fifth Corps moved slowly, Warren became concerned about the safety of his left flank. He directed Crawford's division to move south along a farm track to Old Church Road, oh. where they erected simple breastworks. Crawford sent forward the brigade of Colonel Martin Davis Hardin, I wonder if that's Wesley Hardin's skin. Maybe. Well, which was men of the Pennsylvania Reserves whose enlistments were due to expire that same day. Oh. And uh, one of those regiments, the 13th Pennsylvania Reserves, was already eligible for discharge. No shit. And they're just chilling. Chilling wrong. All right. Yeah, right. Uh, to the very right were two large but inexperienced regiments under Colonel Howard J. Howard Kitching. Rhodes' men marched directly into Hardin's brigade at about noon, and they routed them. The retreat behind Beaver Dam Creek was contagious, and Crawford's entire division formation collapsed, exposing the 5th Corps' left flank. Unfortunately for the old Rebs, Rhodes lost control of his men, who ran beyond their objectives and descended into confusion like (laughs) idiots. Rhodes hesitated to continue with Early's plan, which called for him to push north into the rear uh, of Warren's Corps. Hmm. Much of Early's Corps was still in March Column. Also, Anderson's Corps, which was supposed to support Early, was delayed in arriving. Warren began shifting his corps to face south towards Early, and Crawford reformed at the farm lane. Griffin's division moved in to support him and the 5th Corps artillery under Colonel Charles Wainwright and uh, arrived and set up several batteries north of Shady Grove Road on Crawford's left. Mm -hmm. Griffin's division dug in on Crawford's right. Uh Oh, he dug in. Get ready to row. Major General... Stephen Dotson Ramsour of Early's Corps, newly promoted to division command, he recklessly charged the Union artillery at about 6.30 p.m. The assault was poorly conceived in many dimensions, and Early gave permission only reluctantly. Mm. Gordon's division was still deploying and could not support the attack. Rhodes' men were too occupied with protecting the old rebel right to assist. Ramsour's brigade under Brigadier General Thomas Toon was pinned down by Federales in its open left flank. Hmm. Therefore, the only brigade that actually attacked was Pegram's brigade, which was commanded by Colonel Edward Willis. 
They can they advance heroically through a severe crossfire of rifle and cannon fire. We're able to close within 50 yards of the Union position. Uh-oh. Well, Willis was mortally wounded, Damn. and the brigade fell back to its starting I point. I bet they did. Jeez. Ramsour's attack was costly, mm. but... Or it was a costly repulse, but the Southern soldiers' heroism earned the admiration of the Union soldiers who witnessed it. Damn. The historian of the 13th Pennsylvania Reserves recorded the event. He says, The slaughter was so sickening that Major Hartshorn leaped to his feet and called upon his assailants to surrender. Some hundreds did so. Rebels or no rebels, their behavior and bearing during the charge had won the admiration of their captors who did not hesitate to express it. Wow. Well, you boys fought damn good today. Yeah, good for you, you racist bastards. (laughs) (laughs) A surviving Virginian recalled, he says this, Our line melted away as if by magic. Every brigade, staff, and field officer was cut down. Mostly killed outright in an incredibly short time. Quote, unquote, repeat the line. Meade ordered a general assault across the line to relieve pressure on Warren. But none of his corps commanders were in position to comply immediately. However, Warren's men had extricated themselves from their predicament without additional assistance. Look at that from them, right? The default, the repulse of Ramser's division discouraged early, and he ordered his corps to withdraw a short distance to the west. He blamed Anderson for not arriving in time to assist, but soldiers blamed Ramsor, who had ordered the charge without a sufficient reconnaissance. Yeah, you probably want to uh, blame the guy that. Did it. Right. While the infantry battled at the creek and the church, the cavalry of the two armies clashed to the east across Matadecrin Creek in the Battle of Old Church. Ooh, Old Church. So we got some cavalry fighting each other, huh? Wait. Are they oh, grounded? Oh, the Battle of Old Church. That's our last battle. Um, federal casualties, 731 with 679 killed and wounded, 52 captured, versus 1,593, of which 263 were killed, 961 wounded, 369 missing or captured Confederates. Oh, wow. Confederate Colonel Edward Willis, a popular former member of Stonewall Jackson's staff, was mortally wounded, like we said. Oh, poor guy. And Confederate Brigadier General James Terrell, Terrell was also killed at Bethesda oh, Church. Oh, shit. Of more concern to Lee than Early's failed attack was intelligence he received and reinforcements were heading Grant's way. Damn right they were. Well, I mean, at least he got his uh, intelligence, though. Is that what the whole reason was? Right. He didn't know what Grant was doing? Right. Just as Hoke's division was leaving Bermuda 100, the 16,000 man and Major General William Baldy Smith, uh, his 18th Corps, were withdrawn from Butler's Army of James at Grant's request, and they were moving down the James River and up the York to the Pamunkey. If Smith moved due west from White House Landing to Cold Harbor, three miles southeast of Bethesda Church and Grant's left flank, the extended Union line would be too far south for the old Reb's right to contain it. Lee, he sent his cavalry under Major General Fitzhugh Lee to secure the crossroads at Cold Harbor. Cold Harbor. Can you do that for me, Lee? Yeah, Lee. Yeah. May 31st, Hancock's 2nd Corps again crossed Totopotomoy Creek, but found that the Confederate defense line stood well behind the actual creek bed. Grant realized that the strength of the Confederate position meant another stalemate was at hand. Mm. He began shifting his army southward toward toward Cold Harbor on the night of May 31st. There was no doubt that Lee's whole army... I guess this is a quote. There was no doubt that Lee's whole army was close at hand and strongly entrenched again. Grant declared emphatically he would not run his head against heavy works. This is according to Charles Dana, representative of the War Department, who would accompany Grant uh, this very day, I guess. That shit. Well, the Richmond National Battlefield Park owns and maintains 124 acres from the Shelton House to the banks of the Totopotomy, the Totopotomoy Creek, the area in which the 2nd Corps attacked on the 30th and 31st of May. The site opened to the public on the 10th of September, year 2011. 
The Association for the Preservation of Virginia Antiquities owns 35 acres with extensive earthworks around Bethsaida's church. Right. <laughs> That's that money. Right. The Civil War Trust and many of its divisions and its partners have acquired and preserved 132 acres. Jeez, how many people own this shit? Nice. Um, Richard, Richmond National Battlefield Park is huge, probably. Huge. Yeah, like everything in Virginia. Everything. Jeez. Now that's going to lead us to our very last battle of the day of the Overland Campaign as well. Not the last battle of the Overland Campaign, but also known as the Battle of Matadequin Creek, which was fought May 30th, as the infantry of the two armies fought at the Battle of Bethesda Church, mm. a.k.a. Uh, Totopotomoy Creek or right. whatever it was. Right. Uh, that very same day, Major General Philip Sheridan, that's where he was. Yeah. The Union Cavalry Corps commander began to receive requests for assistance from Major General Governor Warren, who commanded the 5th Corps. He was concerned that his isolated advanced position on the left flank of the Union Army put him at risk. It might have. The Cavalry Corps, <clears throat> the Cavalry Corps was encamped near the Hall Shop Battlefield, concentrated in the area to protect the road network that led to the supply base at White House on the Pamunkey River and the Newcastle Ferry, an area through which reinforcements from Major General William Baldy Smith's 618th Corps were expected to travel. Fantastic. All right, so it's got like a battle within a battle, pretty right, much. Says, huh? Yeah, Sharon initially paid little attention to Warren's requests because he still harbored ill feelings from arguments the two generals had at the beginning of the battle sponsor. Oh, we argued. Major General George Meade had also quarreled frequently with both Sheridan and Warren, and therefore stayed out of this dispute. (laughs) I don't like neither of you. However, as Warren's request became more urgent, Sheridan agreed to screen roads leading to Warren's left flank. Why would you not anyway, you piece of shit? Assigning the task to his division under Brigadier General Alfred Torbert. Torbert delegated the responsibility to the brigade of Colonel Thomas Devon, which was encamped at the old church crossroads. That's like when the mob gives out hits to a guy, and then that guy gives it out to somebody else, and then that guy gives it to somebody else. As instructions passed through his chain of command, they became garbled. Uh, Rather than, like in elementary school, you ever play that telephone game or whatever? Uh, Rather than patrolling. Yellow hair. I have green hair. Your mama's a queer. What? That's definitely not what was said. Uh, he just bought a new chair. <laughs> right. <laughs> My dad drinks a lot of beer. <laughs> Rather than patrolling the old church road to the west, as desired by Warren, Devin was led to understand that he would picket the Bottoms Bridge Road, leading south towards cold Old Harbor, Old Cold Harbor. He placed his brigade in good defensible position on the north bank of the Matadequin Creek, oh. sent a squadron from the 17th Pennsylvania Cavalry to a forward position at the Barker Farm, oh. which was south of the creek. Fantastic. Meanwhile... Unbeknownst to Sheridan, old Robert E. Lee was consigned about the critical road intersection at cold, at Old Cold Harbor, <laughs> only six miles from the old rebel capital of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Hey, wow. He dispatched Brigadier General Matthew Butler's brigade of 2,000 troops from uh, Mechanicsville to Detoyman, whether the intersection was threatened or not. Butler took with him the 4th and 5th South Carolina Cavalry from his own brigade, leaving behind the 6th South Carolina, which he considered to be too inexperienced. And he also took a small brigade of uh, Brigadier General Martin Gary, who consisted of only the 7th South Carolina Cavalry. And 4th, 5th, and 7th. Mm-hmm. The old Rebs cavalrymen departed mid-morning on 38th May and arrived near the Barker Farm between 1 and 2 p.m. Just mm-hmm. time to lunch. Right. Skirmishers from Butler's brigade easily pushed the squadron of Pennsylvania's back to Matadequin Creek. Right back then with lunch, like 11, since you're up at 4. Right. Well, lunch was like, yeah, 9. 
<laughs> Dinner at three. Right. And then dead by seven. <laughs> <laughs> Full belly. All right. Devin <laughs> sent in two more squadrons from the 17th Pennsylvania. Major Coderland oh. led them in a charge that restored their original Union picket line position. I don't think I've ever seen a name named Co. Uh, uh, yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Assuming that he faced only a token force, Devin provided no more reinforcements. Right. However, mm. 3 p.m., an attack by Butler's main force overwhelmed the Union pickets. Uh-oh. Fought a vigorous delay in action to prevent the South Carolinians from crossing over the creek. Wow. Devon deployed two additional regiments on either side of the Pennsylvanians. One was the 6th New York to the right and the 9th New York to the left. Oh. Butler deployed uh, 4th South Carolina to the west of the road, facing the 6th New York, and the 5th Carolina south, facing the east. What? <laughs> <laughs> and the 5th South Carolina to the east, which faced the 9th New York. Oh. He left the 7th South Carolina in reserve. Which we already know. No, that was the 6th that he didn't take. Oh, true. Uh, as Torbert surveyed the scene, he realized that three regiments would be insufficient to resist the old rebel brigade. So he ordered the rest of his division to move up. Brigadier General Wesley Merritt's reserve brigade was the first to arrive. And his second U.S. Cavalry Regiment replaced the 17th Pennsylvania, which had run low on ammo in the center of the line. Ooh, we can't run low on ammo in the center line. Mm-hmm. On the very right end of the Union line, the 6th New York and the 2nd U.S., they pushed back to Fort South Carolina, which was soon reinforced by the Charleston Light Dragoons. Ooh. The Confederates built breastworks out of logs from Liggins Farm. From the Liggins Farm. The Liggins like, what the hell, man? What the hell? Jeez, on the left end, the 9th New York met heavy resistance from the 5th South Carolina, which was protected by the 40-foot banks of the Matted Equin. Damn. 40-foot banks? Holy shit. Uh, Merritt attempted to outflank the Confederate position with the 6th Pennsylvania Cavalry, commanded by Captain Charles L. Leiper, or Leeper. Although they managed to cross the creek to the left of the 9th New York, they were stopped in heavy hand-to-hand combat with Uh-oh. the South Carolinians, and Leaper was severely wounded. Oh, man. shit. Poor Leaper. Stalemate was broken by the arrival of Michigan Brigade. Oh, look at that shit. Under Brigadier General George A. Custer, he deployed his 5th Michigan on the right of the Bottomsbury, on the right of Bottoms Bridge Road, the 1st and the 7th Michigan on the left, and the 6th Michigan in Resolve. Their attack flanked the Confederates on both sides of the line. Butler's men fled to the rear. His reserve regiment, the 7th South Carolina, counterattacked in an attempt to maintain the line. Maintain that line, reserves. The U. Uh, the superior Union numbers and firepower, the Michiganders were armed with Spencer repeating rifles, and Torbert had deployed his Wolverines, <laughs> had deployed horse artillery, a weapon that Butler did not have. Although most all the fighting in the battle was dismounted, Colonel Frank Haskell. Major General Edward M. Boykin, who was cousin of the famous Confederate diarist Mary Chestnut. Okay. Cool. Uh, they led the 7th on horseback, oh, and both nice. were severely wounded during the oh, charge. shit. 20th Georgia Battalion arrived at the end of the battle and were almost swamped by their colleagues racing away on horseback. Right. What the hell? Union troopers pursued the retreating co- Confederates with enthusiasm. Hey. Butler eventually rallied his men at Old Cold, Cold Harbor, and Torbert's men camped about a mile and a half northeast of the intersection. Oh, shit. All right. Although Butler had successfully gathered information that Robert E. Lee needed for the second time in three days, which was at Hall's shop in Matadaquin Creek, the old Reb Cavalry had been driven back by the Union counterparts. And in both cases, Custer's brigade had provided the crucial force needed to Custer prevail. and his Michiganders saved mm. the day twice, baby. Casualties were about 90 on the old Union side and 188 on the old Rebs. The door was open for Sheridan's capture of the important old Cold Harbor crossroads that very next day leading to the start of the bloody 
Battle of Cold Harbor. And that bloody Battle of Cold Harbor will be next week's uh, episode, which will be a standalone Holy battle because shit. it's a long one, folks. It's a long one. Um, yeah, it's going to be Cold Harbor uh, next week. Probably uh, three or four battles coming up after that on the next episode. We saw Overland and uh, Montana campaign up until we got a random Mississippi and Kentucky one thrown in there. Other than that, I got a lot of adjoinias. And then we got a uh, a weird one here coming up in a couple episodes. The Battle of Cherbourg, Borg, um, which was a naval engagement between just one Confederate ship and one Union ship. And it, it occurred in Cherbourg, France. Yeah. Um, so. Damn, the way Alabama went down, huh? Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a – it wasn't really in France. It was right out the – it was in international waters outside of France because the CSS Alabama was docked in French in France. And one of our ships, I don't know how the hell they got word that they were over there, uh, confronted them and waited for well, them to leave the port. And they were probably them. going to France or somewhere over there themselves. So, uh, yeah. Man, dude, that's a long way. Yes. Holy shit. Interesting enough. It says, naval battles of the American Civil War fought in foreign waters. There's only two, which is Cherbourg, and then we got the Bahia incident, which is in late 1864, which was uh, an in- incident between the United States and Brazil. The Confederate Navy warship was captured by a Union warship in the port of uh, Salvador, Bahia, Brazil. Confederates were just... Uh, going to any country, they can get their shit repaired. With that, don't forget to check out our YouTube at Bang Dang Network. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple will answer that Spotify question. Give us a review. Swear to put your shirt with your fringe. Subscribe. Um, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next week for some more Battles of the American Civil War. We are the Mother Michigan. Bang, bang.